Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 9th is Matthew 26 and Mark 14. These two chapters coincide very closely and share the same stories, the same accounts, even in the same order, which is rare in the Gospels. The plot to kill Jesus is coming into full effect now after Jesus has told the parables of the ten virgins and the sheep and the goats and the parable of the talents. He's calling out the Pharisees even more clearly, and they are raging to have him silenced. That's what the enemy does. When you're not on the side of truth, sometimes your best offense is just to silence the one speaking the truth. We must be very careful that we are evaluating our own actions and words rightly. And if we find ourselves silencing people we disagree with, we have to be curious as to why. Why would we want to silence somebody? If the truth is not on their side, wouldn't it be plainly evident for all? These Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders wanted to silence Jesus because they could not answer him, and yet because they were unwilling to humble themselves, they could not admit that they were wrong and that what Jesus was saying was true. And he was actually indicting them, exposing their guilt by his words. The sad part is their actions confirmed that Jesus was telling the truth. Of course, what the enemy does deceitfully needs to be done in secret because, because rational people would see the truth and these religious leaders were scared of the public. So they decided not to arrest Jesus during the festival. They needed to do it in the middle of the night when less people were around. Next, we see Jesus anointed for his upcoming burial. I wonder if she knew what she was doing. So often when we do what God has put in our hearts, we don't understand the full ramifications of it. While Jesus was at Bethany at the house of Simon, who had leprosy, a woman comes to him and anoints him with a very expensive jar of perfume. It was worth almost a year's wages. Today's money, that might be sixty or $70,000. His disciples are outraged. We could have given the money to the poor. Why didn't she just sell that and give us the money instead? Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. She's anointed me for my burial. Jesus had predicted his death three times now, but it was most plainly put forth at the beginning of this chapter where he tells them that he is going to be handed over and crucified. I wonder if even Jesus felt the full weight of those words as he said, she is anointing me, she is preparing my body for burial. It was at this point that Judas Iscariot ran off to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Of course, we know that sum is 30 pieces of silver, and now Judas is looking for an opportune time because it is time to celebrate the Passover. The disciples ask Jesus, where, where should we have this meal? A traditional Passover meal requires a lot of preparation. You need a place to do it. There's some setup involved. Jesus says, go into the city. You'll see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him. When he stops at a certain house, go in and tell the person there that the master has need of the upper room. 
And that's where we're going to have the Passover. So the disciples go and they find it exactly as Jesus had described. They find a finished room, furnished and ready for them. And we're not told who the owner of that place is or how they knew to prepare it. But it makes you wonder, did that person receive a word for the, from the Lord? Maybe they received a, a dream, a vision, an angelic encounter, and they felt as though they were supposed to prepare this room, and they just did it by faith. Maybe Jesus had sent an earthly messenger, a human, to tell them to prepare that place. We don't know, but I like the idea that maybe it was an angel. When evening came, they're having the Passover, and Jesus tells the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. They all begin questioning, is it, is it me? Of course, we know it's Judas Iscariot, the treasurer, the one who complained the loudest whenever Jesus received an exorbitant gift. Judas was the one saying that money should be donated to the poor because he was the treasurer and he was a thief. He was a liar. He walked with Jesus at this point for three and a half years, but he didn't know him. He's one whose lamp would not have oil when the bridegroom arrived. He's one who would be sent to the chief shepherd's left with the goats because he was not a sheep. And just as Judas walked with Jesus in the flesh for three and a half years and heard him teach and was entrusted with the money, as shocking as that likely was going to be to the other 11 disciples, it was not a surprise to Jesus. And Jesus models what it looks like to have an eternal perspective when he says, it must happen as it was written. In other words, I'm going to allow these things to take place. I know exactly what's taking place. I know that I'm being betrayed. I know what's going to happen. I know who's doing it to me, and yet I will submit to the process. And it will be better for this person who is betraying me that he would have never been born. Not only do we see Jesus' humility there, his meekness, because he could pray and receive tens of thousands of angels at his side to deliver him, but he knows this is the white, this is the reason he came. He had to submit to the process to be betrayed to know what that feels like when he had done nothing wrong, nothing deserving it. He was betrayed and he deserved none of it. Friends, we struggle. We face all kinds of different challenges and a lot of them are our fault. Hebrews 5.8 says, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And it was through this process that he was made perfect. And now he's the source of eternal salvation for all who believe in him. Friends, we don't serve a great high priest who has no idea what we're going through. He sympathizes and he empathizes. He understands because he's been through it himself. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said, take this and eat it. It is my body. Later, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he passed it around to them. And he said, take it and drink all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. A covenant is a promise. It's an if you do this, then I'll do that. If you'll pay me, I will provide this service or I will sell you this object. The contract Jesus made 
with us and for us is that if we would believe in him, we would have eternal life. If we would trust his leadership, if we would fill the lamps of our souls with oil, which is faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, then he would do anything we ask of him. If we abide in him, he will abide in us. If we follow him, he will make our yoke easy and our burden light. No, it won't always be pleasing. It won't always be fun, but there will be grace to accomplish all that he asks us to do. Jesus is preparing the disciples at this point. After supper, all of you will fall away. There's a verse in Zechariah's scroll. Today, we know it as chapter 13, verse 7. that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is saying this will be fulfilled tonight. As I, the shepherd, am struck, all of you, my sheep, will be scattered. Peter, well-intentioned, but full of pride, says, not me. Everyone else might fall away, but not I. I won't, even if it means giving my life. Peter had the best of intentions, I'm sure, but he was arrogant and he was not willing to listen. And we all know that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Perhaps the best way to learn humility is to be embarrassed by your own failure on a public stage. Peter, in front of the other disciples, is saying, I will be with you no matter what, even if the rest of these guys aren't. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will betray me three times. Before the sun comes up in the morning, in the next eight hours, Peter, as was his custom, Jesus went off in the garden to pray, but this time he took Peter, James, and John, said, pray with me. He goes off a little further and prays, Father, take this cup from me, the portion you have given me. If there's any other way, I'm not sure I can go through with it. Peter, James, and John have fallen asleep. He comes back and wakes them up and encourages them, please pray with me. The last time he goes to check on them, they're asleep again. He just lets them sleep. Can you imagine how alone he must have felt knowing what was coming? Some people would say Jesus was not afraid because he was God. But friends, if he wasn't afraid, there would have been no need for courage. There would have been no need for faith. Faith is trusting despite the circumstances. It's at that time that Judas appears with the crowd, with clubs and swords and torches. Jesus said, have you come after me as if I were a criminal? Didn't I teach in your temple every day? And yet you come out with this mob? They led him away to the high priest. It is early in the morning at this point, and the high priest, all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were all assembled there. They must have known what was coming. They had this plot orchestrated. They had a mock trial set up. They were trying to find somebody to testify against Jesus, but they couldn't even corroborate each other's testimonies. And as they questioned him, he kept silent, knowing he could defend himself, but he wasn't supposed to in that time. And eventually they ask him outright, are you the Messiah or not? Are you the Holy One? And Jesus responds, you've said it yourself. I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And that's all the testimony they needed. The demons within them incited them to elicit violence at that point. They tore their robes 
and they all condemned him, saying he was deserving of death. And it was at that point that they began to spit on him. Then they struck him, and they mocked him, saying, Prophesy, Lord, which one of us hit you? can only imagine what the disciples were experiencing as they were watching this from afar. Those who stayed close enough, John was there, Peter was there, and Peter's accent, his clothing, how close he was to Jesus begins to testify against him in these small groups of people that he's hanging around with as he's warming his hands by the fire. People begin saying, you sound like you're from Galilee. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I am not. Just a few hours before, Peter was so adamant that he would never deny Jesus. But things didn't go as he expected. And so three times he's implicated as being a follower of Jesus, and three times he denies it. The third time, even with cursing. It's easy for us to want to judge Peter for being so foolish, but the truth is we're all just as guilty. We've all done things that we said we would never do. We've all not done things that we've sworn we would always do. We, like Peter, need so much grace. And our loving King gives us all the grace we need as long as we repent. Father, change us. Make us like you. Father, teach us to forgive those who have hurt us so that we can be forgiven ourselves. Help us to learn from our mistakes and not repeat them. Be exalted, O Lord, our King. And thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, my friends, for being on this journey with me through the Bible. It is an honor and a privilege to study with you every day. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I am a strategic listing specialist and a senior real estate specialist currently serving Southwest Florida, listing homes around Fort Myers, Naples, and Estero, Bonita Springs. I have a team of real estate agents all around the country. We're always adding to our agents. So if you're a real estate professional and you'd like to partner with us at Call It Closed International Realty, we would love that. And if you're doing real estate somewhere in the country and you need a good real estate agent or broker to help you with that transaction, I would love to either be the person to help you or if you're in an area that I'm not currently working, I would consider it a tremendous honor to introduce you to somebody who could take really good care of you. You can find more information about me and my real estate business at agentdaviddoty.com. Thank you so much for your consideration.